Hey, welcome to the show. This is Tyler Orton from BIV and BIV.com. I'm a reporter here at the newspaper. And I think ever since the killing of George Floyd brought new attention to racial injustice, as well as institutionalized racism, a lot of businesses have been waking up to something that they were just simply unwilling to address for a long, long time. But with this willingness to address all these inequities, our next guest can discuss the next steps that businesses can take to diversify their workforces and really do something about what's been going on to too many people for such a long, long period of time, especially in Canada's history. So with us today, it is Tess Sloan. She is founder of 1111 Talent Collective. Tess, great to have you back on the show. Thanks so much, Tyler. So I I don't know. I've been talking to lots of businesses ever since I've been a reporter here at the newspaper for for years now. And sometimes there's a lot of responses like, oh, yeah, we acknowledge that something should be done. But getting that action to take place, like I I, I think we're now in a a point where a lot more businesses are actually willing to take action. But do you hear that, you know, oftentimes, you know, businesses, they don't even know where to start if they want to start diversifying their workforce? Yes, totally. And it is really a sensitive subject, right? And it's a scary one to take on. But we're just at a point in the global economy where we can no longer take no action. And, you know, at 11.11, we're a global recruiting company. So we speak to hundreds of candidates a week, so job seekers. And the number one question they're asking right now when they're interviewing with a company is, what are you doing to ensure an inclusive and diverse workforce? Isn't that also just a big deal in terms of kind of the the global labor shortages that are going on right now? If you want to, you know, hire the best talent, I I think a lot of the talent are, they'll be having those same questions as well for their potential employers too, right? Absolutely. People have such a higher consciousness about this. Like when they're looking for work, it's not just about a job. It's really about, you know, joining a a mission, a purpose, something that aligns with their personal values. Like that's what candidates are thinking about today. So businesses have this higher responsibility to be looking at these things and really, you know, addressing, you know, are they, are they living their values that they talk about and that they share with the world? Are you getting the sense though, that, you know, businesses are actually getting serious about this in a way that they weren't, you know, let's say two or three months ago? Definitely. I think there's been a lot of fire put under this right now. And right now, the question is, what are you doing? And I think we talk about diversity and inclusion a lot. But that third word that we're starting to hear right now is equity. So equity is an approach that ensures everyone has access to the same opportunities. And that's really the question right now, especially when you're looking at your recruitment strategies. Well, why don't we get into the nitty gritty to yeah. a certain degree, you know, like let, let's talk about what, what would be a first step right now that a business that is serious about doing something about this, what is the first step that they can take at this moment? I think the first step, and at 11.11, we really give our clients a lot of tangible, tactical advice. And I'll get into that. We have five tips, but overall, I would say, you know, don't make reactionary hires or committees in DNI right now work with a consultant, like there are people that specialize in this to really support you in creating a strong intention and a strong foundation for this work. This isn't a quick fix. This isn't gonna change overnight. It's not a checkbox. It's really a 
it's really setting a new foundation for how your business and company will grow. And it absolutely is in your best interest. If you want to get down to the research that's been done around, you know, diverse executive teams have show higher profitability year over year than non-diverse teams. So the research is all there. It's just time to start taking action. You mentioned something that, that kind of piqued my interest there, but uh, reactionary hires, uh, what would be an example of that? And is that, am I correct in assuming that's kind of more of a, a short-term response versus what you're talking about getting a consultant in to develop more of a long-term sort of plan? Yeah, so a lot of the times people will make hire a diversity inclusion specialist or a chief diversity officer and put the onus all on this person to create a diverse workforce or to you know, address this issue within the company, but it's really not about that. It's really about, you know, getting down to the culture of the organization, getting the buy-in from the whole executive team, and then, you know, making some really powerful choices on what the future is going to look like. And that can't be on one person. It might make sense to hire somebody into the role down the road, but the, the biggest piece of work is really making a choice about, what you're actually going to do, what action you're going to start taking to create a more inclusive, equitable future at your business. Do you get the sense sometimes that, you know, maybe in years past, businesses have said, oh, we've struck a committee, we're addressing this, but maybe nothing quite comes out of it. Like you bring up the cultural thing. And I wonder if this is now shifting towards a conversation about how companies reframe their culture from, you know, kind of that, that seed sort of level. Yeah, so I think when you make a reactionary hire, put a committee together to address it, you know, they're just working with what already is there. And usually on these committees, the people that are asked to be on them are your people of color, a black person, you know, underrepresented groups. And they actually are not your DNI specialists. They actually sometimes feel tokenized that they're being asked to be in these groups. That's not an empowering feeling. And they're actually now on a committee in a company that they don't actually feel is very inclusive. And what you need to do is really scrub your internal processes. So your actual recruitment process. So how are you attracting the talent? What talent is applying to your jobs? You know, if you post an open role and in one team in your marketing team, you look around and it's all white females who graduated from UBC. And then every time you post a job that they're the only people that apply, that's a good place to start looking because it actually doesn't serve your business to have only white female graduates in a team. So one of the things that have left many people dismayed, though, is you have a lot of uh, you know, white people coming out and just saying, no, Canada's not racist. There, there's not institutionalized racism. They're, they're saying this to, you know, BIPOC, you know, um, groups out there. And, and um what happens if a business doesn't really acknowledge that there is something, you know, very fundamental ingrained within Canadian society that maybe, you know, the, the white uh, folks just aren't aware of for the most part? Right. You know, I think, you know, it's, it's such a big topic. And I feel like even for myself, and I'm a person of color, I once thought that too, you know, and it's not until you start, you know, having your own discoveries in it and being willing, being willing to be really vulnerable in the space and look at it with all your armor down that you have these real aha moments of where the system is set up to disadvantage certain minority groups. And, you know, this includes the trans population. This includes 
LGBTQ matters. So it's really embedded in our system. So for businesses like that, you know, if there is a curiosity and there has to be some type of curiosity to embark on this work, I would suggest having a DNI consultant come in just doing a training. And maybe in that you might have some discoveries. And I think it's when you have a, a moment that really sparks change or that opens you up to thinking about it a different way, are you then able to kind of make some strides in this realm? Um, but it's a difficult one because you don't have time on your side in this case, you know, it's, it's happening right now. And I guess I want you to hear that businesses are being held accountable and you don't have to hear that from me. You can see it every time you open Instagram or put the news on or read a publication. You know, I just, this is a pure, just anecdote on my part, but I, I, I generally cover the technology sector here in Vancouver. And I recall speaking to a startup that they were developing software to remove unconscious biases within say job applications. And yeah. one of the things that they would do though, is say maybe remove the name of the person. Cause yeah. you know, it, it just may create an unconscious bias within who, whoever is kind of reviewing the resume. It, it, we, we're kind of talking about that sort of stuff that maybe people might not even be aware that this is going on even subconsciously. hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's a great example. And I'm familiar with that AI tool. It's a really great tool and we kind of recommend it to our clients. Um, and there are these things that the, the tricky thing with unconscious bias is that it's unconscious. We don't know we're doing it. Right. And so training in this area can really help us be aware, but that's what, where we're at right now. It's actually looking at our processes, our job descriptions, scrubbing the language to understand, are we screening out people unconsciously? The thing that you mentioned earlier that I, I want to jump over to as well, but like you've got some tips in mind and, and maybe we can go over them kind of one by one, but uh, I don't know, what, what's one of the tips? Uh, were you including kind of the reach out to the consultant first? Is that tip number one? Or maybe I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, that was kind of my overarching message. I think that's a good place to start. If you don't know where to start, reach out to a consultant um, and allow them to guide you through it. But in terms of tips, so when we talk about five ways to recruit a diverse workforce, the first one is, you know, once you've established your DNI policies and efforts, share them on your website, share them on your Instagram or how you communicate with potential candidates. Your commitment should be really transparent and clear so candidates are fully aware of your efforts, present and future. So you might not even be there, but you can share where you're going in the future. Um, I find that candidates really appreciate that. They appreciate that transparency, especially when companies are saying, we're not there yet. We actually have realized like we have a lot of work to do. So I think that's a really powerful place to begin. And an example of that could be, you could say, We've allocated a specific amount of funds for our DNI training across the board in our retail locations, in our restaurants, in our head office, whatever that looks like. Or you could say we've intentionally partnered with these three underrepresented groups to actively recruit and hire from them. That's a really great place to start as well. The second tip is in your job descriptions, test leaving degrees off the table. So a lot of the time, every job description will say you need a degree, sometimes even from certain universities. And if you could reframe that to focus on skills, competency, attitude, and potential, you're gonna open up a much wider net. 
a lot of the times degrees immediately spring people out. I've been recruiting for 17, 18 years now for big global organizations. And we always had degrees on the, on the job description. And I will tell you, nine out of 10 times, if we found the right candidate with the right skills, experience, if they'd been working at a competitor and doing the same job, they had a great attitude and they didn't have a degree, we would hire them every time. Experience and skills always trumps degrees. So let's start leaving them off the table and seeing what that opens up. And again, to my point earlier, it doesn't actually serve you to have every one of your employees with a degree from a university. You're not then, you're not recruiting in a diverse workforce. And I'm talking about diversity of thought here, diversity of experience. So there's other areas of DNI that are not visible, like the way we think, the way our experiences have shaped us. So we don't want everybody from the same pedigree or the same life experience or the same track. A company could fall in that trap of kind of being like kind of that monolithic sort of group think if everybody's just kind of coming from all the same institutions, right? Totally. And we actually see that a lot. And it doesn't serve your business from a profitability standpoint or a DNI standpoint. The third thing is, and you mentioned this before, audit your job description for exclusionary language. So keep it clear and neutral. And so good example of this and something I still see often is sometimes you'll see companies post and they'll say, we're looking for a social media wizard or a social media ninja to join the team. And it's like, a lot of people are like, what does that mean? And then if you go deeper, like the word ninja actually has male connotations, not female. So you might be unconsciously, unconsciously females might be saying, that's not me. So just keep it clear and neutral. The fourth thing is, and this kind of goes again towards the diversity of thought argument is, you know, stop asking your employees for a referral. So this used to be the biggest, most popular thing to do in the past. It's no longer anymore. Referrals are really a bottleneck strategy for your pipeline. So what you're doing essentially is you're asking for more of the same. So you're looking at your workforce and you're saying, bring your friends and everybody that looks and thinks like you to this company. So we actually want to stop that and really explore new territories and new ways to recruit people. If I can just jump in, because one of the things that I find interesting is companies always say that we want to make sure we're bringing in people that you know kind of fit our culture to a certain degree. And Whenever I think about that, I, I just wonder if that means that you're not going to get like that diversity of thought in as well. If everybody has to kind of, uh, and by culture, we're talking about cor corporate culture, but if everyone has to kind of abide by, you know, the, the same attitudes in terms of work or, or same sorts of thought, you're just going to get, again, like I said, that kind of monolithic sort of group thing going on, right? Exactly. And Lululemon, who's a great employer here in Vancouver, has recently changed that. They used to always interview and I worked there for many years interview for culture fit and they've recently changed their language to interviewing for culture ad who's going to add to our culture right and that could look a million different ways and I think that's a really powerful way to reframe it and allow candidates to then who maybe wouldn't opt in and say who would or like ordinarily think I'm not a fit they're going to now think oh I am a fit because I could add this to the culture and the last tip that we have is 
you know, create a workplace culture that supports a breadth of lifestyles and situations. So, you know, it's really powerful as an employee when you look up at the executive team and you see really different people, lifestyles, situations, like how, you know, what their family structures look like to how they live and breathe every day. You know, a culture where there are really strong examples of people speaking up and not being punished for it or different opinions being shared or where there's very, you know, healthy um, conflict and discussion. Like this really shows that it's a safe environment where people are being seen and heard. You know, one last thing before we wrap it up, though, is I, I think a lot of people that are in Vancouver and they look at a very diverse city here. But how much is that actually reflected in maybe kind of um, the way that businesses run, the, the, the makeup of, say, the C-suites, uh, for instance? That's something that I, I think we've been having a lot of discussions at at our newspaper in recent months. But what's your take on kind of the way that corporate Vancouver reflects, you know, the diversity of the city as, as a whole? I think it's a it's a tough one to answer. The companies that I've worked for, I've worked for global brands locally, and and I actually would say that I have seen an intentional um, effort to bring in very diverse leadership and thought leadership, and particularly people from different parts of the world. So I think that's a really powerful way to do things. But in the same breath you always see them from the same industry, the same, you know, they've kind of had the same track. So there's definitely room for opportunity. And I think if we look at mid-sized businesses in Vancouver, we're not really seeing an intentional effort to go after diversifying their teams. So I think there's a huge opportunity locally for us to do that. Do you, do you think part of that is maybe some mid-sized businesses, they're like, well, th this is going to take a lot of resources. I don't know if this could be our top priority, especially in amid amidst like a pandemic, for instance. I I'm just wondering if maybe you can reassure some of these businesses that it it's not going to, you know, break the bank if they go ahead and pursue some of this sort of stuff. It's not going to break the bank. It is going to make you more profitable, successful, and attract the best talent to your business. And I think it just starts with a mindset shift. And I, you know, I did this too, you know, growing up in my early recruiting days, working for businesses, we wanted like-minded people. We wanted people just like us. You know, one of the ways I would interview was like, I would think, could I have a beer with this person? Could I be stuck at an interview, uh, sorry, at an airport with this person? And those were the right ways to interview at the time and build your business. But right now, there is a, we're just being called to operate differently and to reach for that next level, which is diversifying, really acknowledge and recognize that some groups have been really marginalized, level the playing field, and in the same breath, amplify our businesses, really get to new levels of profitability, success, and also bringing in brilliant human beings to our business and creating a more equitable future for the next generations to come. Well, you know, Tess, I have to say really great insights that you're able to share. I, I hope it does influence, you know, people and businesses that maybe are waking up to what's going on a little bit more. And uh, for now, I, I just want to say thank you for joining us on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
That's Tess Sloan. She is founder of 1111 Talent Collective. And that is it for the show today. We'll be back tomorrow, though. But in the meantime, I want to thank everybody for joining us. And go to BIV.com for more stories, more interviews, more podcasts, more videos, whatever you need. It's all there. Cheers. Cheers.